You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Controls your thoughts. Whoever it is or whatever it is that controls your thoughts controls you. It is impossible for you to be controlled by anything other than the person or persons or whatever object controls or has captivated your thoughts. Whatever it is that controls your thoughts controls what you talk about. That's why the Bible says, out of the abundance of a man's heart, he speaks. And so I want to ask you this evening, who it is or what is it controlling your thought life, your thought life? Now, if you will, open your Bible to the second chapter of Colossians as we continue our study through the book of Colossians. And I want to read to you just one verse in a few moments. Before we read this verse together, let me ask you just to keep your finger there in that passage and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. And I want to read to you some interesting verses, beginning with verse 23. For there we discover how important it is for you to know who it is controlling your thoughts. Because you see, whoever it is that controls your thoughts controls you. Whatever captivates your thoughts has taken you captive. Notice what he says here in verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 4. Keep your heart with all diligence. In the Hebrew language, that word keep means guard like a watch guard at a prison would guard. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And this word for issues is a very interesting word, and I think it would do you well to know what it is. It is the same word uh, that is translated elsewhere as boundaries are the limits of your life. Keep your heart, guard your heart. That's your intellect, your emotion, your will. Guard your heart like a watch guard because you see, whoever it is who tampers with your heart, whatever it is that you put into your heart determines the boundaries are the limitations that you set on your life. There were times when you see there were people who assumed that we would never, man would never fly because, I mean, after all, there were people who said man could never fly. I heard a man speak uh, just a couple of weeks ago right here in this church. He was speaking to about 4,000 people from Tinker Air Force Base and from Altus Air Force Base, and he was talking about the limitations we put on ourselves. Maybe some of you men or women were there. And he said, it's very interesting that uh, when Johnny Weissmuller walked away from the Olympics with all the swimming trophies, everybody said, this man has reached the ultimate. No one will ever be able to swim uh, with any better times than Johnny Weissmuller. However, did you know that a girl in high school today in Oklahoma cannot make the team unless she has better times than Johnny Weissmuller had at the Olympics. Girls are guys. Well, you see, there was a time when we thought that was the limit. But you see, unless you keep your heart, guard your heart like a watch guard, uh, all kinds of thoughts can come in, and those thoughts will control you. For out of it are the issues. Because of what you have in your heart, that's where the boundaries of your life will come. And so this evening, I want to ask you who controls your heart. Who controls your heart? Who controls your thought 
life. What is it that's uppermost in your thoughts? When you approach a problem, whose approach are you parroting? From whom did you learn those principles? Where did you get the way in which you face the issues of life? Now, Viktor Frankl, who uh, was a prisoner of war, discovered the wonderful joy of having your heart captive to the Lord Jesus. And as a matter of fact, uh, as he writes in his biography, there came a time when his guards realized that inside the prison he had greater freedom than they did, although they were outside the prison and guarding him. And ultimately they would come to him and ask him for advice. And they said to him on more than one occasion, you are more free than are we. And what did he learn? He had learned the truth of what we're going to think about this evening. Who controls your thoughts? Who has your heart? Well, stand with me, if you will, please, and let's read the eighth verse of Colossians chapter 2. The apostle there is speaking now to these Christians in Colossae who have allowed their faith in Christ to become diluted and perverted because they have listened to other people. And he's already warned them that they should walk today by the same pattern that with which they began. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in, and we read in verse 6, rooted in verse 7, built up in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now notice what he says. Beware, be on your guard, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Who controls your thoughts? This word spoil here means literally take you captive. Beware lest any man take you captive. We speak of the spoils of war. Or there's the statement, to the victor go the spoils. And so he says that the same word is used here. Beware lest any man take you captive. How? Well, by, by somehow capturing your thoughts. Philosophy, vain deceit, the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world. So the question this evening, who controls your thoughts? What is it that is uppermost in your mind? What is the driving force for your life? And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now this evening in such a fashion that uh, there would be no uncertainty in our hearts as to who is Lord and who controls our thoughts. Lord, expose uh, unbelief, expose false belief systems in our life. Could be, Lord, that this evening there are those whose thought life is controlled by something or someone other than you. Uh, there are those perhaps who say, well, my, my pattern of life is controlled by the music I listen to or the programs I watch or the books that I read or the friends with whom I run. Uh, something or someone other than you. And so, Father, I pray that you would probe deeply into our hearts and cause us each to ask the question, who controls my thoughts? Because we realize, Lord, whoever it is that controls our thoughts controls our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The concern of the Apostle Paul was that the Christians in Colossae had begun well, but now they were not doing so well. 
they were Christians. If they died, they'd go to heaven. But the kind of Christianity they were now preaching was not true Christianity. And the kind of lives they were now living were not the kind of lives that pictured what Christ does when he comes into a person's life and changes him. What had happened was people had crept into their fellowship and had begun taking them captive by perverting their thoughts. Because you see, whoever controls your thoughts controls you. The issue here was not an issue of destination. The Apostle Paul was quite content that these were brothers and sisters in Christ. But he was not content to believe that the kind of Christianity they were now preaching would get people into heaven. He said the kind or the brand of Christianity you're preaching is now more a religion than it is a relationship. They were practicing what is called Gnosticism. They were glorifying knowledge on the one hand and thinking, well, the issue is an accumulation of knowledge. The more you know, the better off you are. And uh, they had no discernment as far as the, what they learned. They would learn anything from anyone. And so now it had begun to affect not only their practice of the Christian faith in their lives, it was also affecting the preaching of their Christian faith. And Paul was brokenhearted, and thus the letter to the Christians in Colossae. Now, the lesson is very clear for you and for me. Whoever it is controlling your thoughts really controls your life. I know one day you may say, look, I've trusted in Christ. If I died, I'm going to heaven. That may well be the case. But I want to ask you today, if someone had watched you throughout the entirety of the agenda of your daily activities, what conclusions would those people, would that individual have drawn about the driving force of your life? Who controls your life? What is it that is your obsession? What is it that controls your thoughts? Or who is it controlling your thoughts? Whoever controls your thoughts controls your life. A long time ago, people learned the importance of indoctrination. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, back during the days of uh, the war, they talked about the fact that you could alter a man's power, a man's uh, thinking. You could have power over that individual to control his life. You could alter his thinking. And by altering the things he thought about, you could alter his behavior. Whoever controls your thoughts controls you. Now, let me tell you this. You can say to your friends and to your fellow church members, you can tell them that you're a Christian and you can believe it and you can tell them when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and you can tell them that you know that you're going to heaven when you die, but that does not necessarily mean that today your life was controlled at all by Christ. Well, you say, who then controlled my life? Whoever controls your thinking has had control over your life today. And I'll tell you, there are many Christians who do not have Christ in control over their thinking, and their lives are evidence of it. And so with your Bible open, let me share with you what the Apostle Paul tells us are four issues with which we must deal. And if you do not exercise great caution in regard to these issues, you are open to being taken captive. 
Beware, he says, lest any man spoil you. And here are the uh, strategies by which you can be taken captive. And so let's look at them very carefully. First of all, you can be taken captive by the thoughts of another than Christ if you have a lack of discernment in your quest for knowledge. Let me say it again. You can be taken captive by another than Christ. You're on your way to heaven, but your daily life will be controlled by another or by others than Jesus if you exercise no discernment, if you have a lack of discernment in your quest for knowledge. What does he say here? Beware, lest any man spoil or take you captive through philosophy, which comes from two words, love of knowledge. You say, well, Brother Tom, shouldn't I want to know things? Yes. But not everything that is out there to be known is worth knowing. And you see, what had happened was that these people in Colossae thought that anything that is to be known is worth knowing. It didn't make any difference whether it was uh, vile or whether it was wholesome. If it was out there and it could be known, they would they'd buy it, they'd read it, they'd think about it. They would watch it. If they lived in our society today, they would listen to it. In their quest for knowledge, they didn't care what they knew. Now, let me give you an example. Here you are watching television some evening, and uh, maybe the news has just gone off, and before it can get off, uh, one of these uh, television tabloid programs comes on, an, an advertisement. Let's say it's one like, like hard copy, okay? And that flashes across the screen, and what hard, it tells you what the, the, what the program is going to be that evening. As a matter of fact, that evening, those of you who watch hard copy are going to find out who Marilyn Monroe's other lover was. Marilyn Monroe's been dead for a long time. But you get to find out who Marilyn Monroe's other lover was. Well, that just intrigues you, and you think to yourself, what difference could this make? If I, and all of a sudden, what you have said is, look, in my quest to know stuff, it doesn't make any difference what I know. What I know is not going to affect me. That would be interesting to know. I'd just like to know who Marilyn Monroe's other lover was. Well, you see, that is a lack of discernment in regard to what you know. Not everything that can be known is worth knowing, but everything you know has an effect on you. Uh, that's why these uh, magazines sell. I, I hope you're, you don't buy those things. Uh, you know, you, you, you go and you see these magazines, and they, they, they always have, you know, some Martians have landed, and uh, someplace my wife saw the, the classic t headline. It said... Uh, Woman gives birth to chicken-headed boy. Boy born in hen house, clucks, cackles, and eats grain. Well, you know the average person said, I think I want to buy this tabloid. I just got to know about a woman giving, headed, uh, you know, giving birth to a chicken-headed boy. Well, I see that all the time. Um, <clears throat> but in a hen house, here's a boy that clucks and cackles and eats grain. Why, you know that, why you've got to know that, right? And so you buy that, whatever it is, national this or national that. Well, that's not worth knowing. Now, the tragedy is this. There are many people who have such a lack of discernment when it comes to knowing things. They will read anything. They will look at anything. They will watch anything. They will listen to anybody talk about anything. They have very little regard to whether it's true or untrue. They just open their mind up and say, look, to the world, you just pour into me anything that you want. 
And their idea is, look, it's not going to affect me very much. Well, here's what he says. Beware lest any man take you captive by your love of knowledge, by their philosophies. They're, they're saying, look, look at all the stuff out here that can be known. Because you see, not everything that can be known is true. Not everything that can be known is godly. Not everything that can be known is pure, pure or virtuous or wholesome are edifying. In fact, much of what can be known out in the world has just the opposite effect upon you. Beware lest any man take you captive through the exercise, the use of philosophy. So one way you can become captive to the world, saying I'm going to heaven, but living as if you're not, is by exercising no discernment when it comes to the things that you know, the things that you give yourself to reading. All right, here's a second thing. You can easily be taken captive by the world if you do something very simple. If you make the fulfillment of your dreams your life's greatest ambition. Let me say it again. You can easily become captive to the world if you make the fulfillment of your dreams. Here's what I've always dreamed about this. If you make the greatest ambition in your life the fulfillment of your dreams. Brother Tom, is it wrong to dream? Absolutely not. There are things that I dream about doing. I, uh, I try to put them out there and see if the Lord wants me to do it. If you never, and there's a sense in which someone says, you know, if you never dream anything, you never do anything. And there are things that, that are dreams or goals or desires of mine. But now what about my ambitions? My ambition, just like your ambition, should be to know the Lord, to know His will, to do, to do His will. But if you make the fulfillment of your dreams, your life's greatest ambition, then you could very easily become captive of the world. Notice what he says here. Beware lest any man take you captive through just loving knowledge, wanting to know anything that can be known, and vain deceit. What is vain deceit? Vain means empty. Empty talk, deceit here, the word, is through an illusion, through painting, we're using empty talk to paint you a picture. Using empty talk to paint you a picture. I remember one time a guy came to see me. I'm sure he thought I needed this. He, he called, he wanted to make an He said, I have to have an appointment with a pastor. And uh, I was living in another town, another church, and I knew the man, man, it was a man in our church. And uh, he came, we sat down, we had a very serious talk for a few minutes, and he said, well, he said, I need to get down to brass tacks. He scooted his chair up to the desk where we could really get serious. You know, I thought, hmm, wonder what he's going to say to me. And he said, Brother Tommy, I want to ask you a question. If money was no object, if money was no object, what would you want in life? I said, explain that. He said, well, let me just write this down. If money was no object, what would you like to be driving right now? If money was no object. And I, you know, I was very naive. I said, well, you know, I told him what I'd like to be driving. He said, well, I've, he said, if money was no object, I mean, wouldn't you rather just fly? So I said, well, sure, you know, if money was no object, you know, I'd put down that Learjet down there. I said, no, nah, just... Just stay with me. He said, if money was no object, you know, where would you like to live? Well, how would you like to And he went through this whole thing. If money was no object. And I thought, well, this is an interesting exercise. And so I entered right in to this exercise with him. And uh, he got down at the end of the list down there, and he said, now, Brother Tom, 
I'm going to show you how money can be no object in your life. And he pulled out, the, opened his briefcase. Well, I didn't realize he had his plan in his briefcase. And he began to tell me how money could be no object. Well, is, you know, is there anything wrong with saying, you know, I have dreams, goals. Yeah, but let me tell you this. If you're the kind of person whose greatest ambition in life is just to fulfill your dreams, then you are open to being taken captive by the world. Because somebody's going to come along who's going to tell you how they think you can fulfill your dreams. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's always a plan. There's always somebody who's got some way for you to fulfill your dreams. And if your dreams are the same as your greatest ambition. The Apostle Paul said, might have had a lot of dreams. He might have dreamed that he didn't go to prison. He might have dreamed that he got to go on a fine ship and rather, rather than a, a cargo ship that was going to sink. I mean, he might have had a lot of dreams. The point is his great ambition was to know Christ, to know Christ. But if your greatest ambition is to get your dreams, to marry the man of your dreams, the girl of your dreams, to live in the house of your dreams, to drive the car of your dreams, to wear the clothes of your dreams, to have the job of your dreams. If your greatest ambition is to get your dreams, you are open season for the world because the, world, well, the woods are full of people who are going to tell you how to get what you dream about. And they've got a plan. And the reason they're getting what they dream about is because they get you to buy their plan that tells you how to get what you dream about. You see? The woods are full of them. And so if you want to be held captive, that's another way. You say, Brother Tom, are you against thinking, planning, having ambitions, having dreams, setting goals? Not any of that. But what we're saying here is if your great ambition, the driving force in your life, is to get your dreams, then you're open season to being taken captive. Who controls your thoughts? Somebody else control your thoughts. All right, let's look at another one. Notice here he says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Number one, not, not having any discretion about what you know, just being willing to know anything. And vain deceit, empty talk about illusions, painting a picture out here. Men can take you captive that way. Then he says, After the tradition of men. Now, the word that's used here for tradition is, is very interesting. It means to give alongside, literally, but it's more than that. It's after the established order, those things which have been handed down from generation to generation to generation. All right, let me tell you how you can become captive. Did you know that you can become captive of traditions? You can become a captive. People can spoil you, that is, take you captive, not only through philosophy and vain deceit, but you can also become captive if, now listen carefully, you have an inordinate fear of breaking ties with the past or examining the possibilities of something new. An inordinate fear. Now, you say, Preacher, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, let me ask you a question. What one aspect of religion created the greatest grief on the part of Christ? What was it? Tradition. Our fathers did it this way, right? Our fathers did it this way. And Jesus was constantly saying to them, look, 
Christianity is a little bit different. He said it's like new wine. What do we know about new wine? Well, new wine is wine that in the process of becoming older wine, it gives off, it, it literally ferments, it begins to expand in a wineskin. He said, now, if you take new wine and you put this new wine in an old wineskin, what's going to happen? The new wine's going to expand. The old wineskin, which is brittle and hard, is going to break. He said, there's a place for old wine. Old wine goes in old wineskins. Nothing wrong with that. But there's also a place for new wine, and new wine goes in new wineskins. Nothing wrong with that either. There's got to be both the old and the new. We have to appreciate the old and the new. Now, how can you be taken captive? You can be taken captive by, by, by having an inordinate fear of breaking ties with the past or considering that God might do something new. Let me remind you that most of what we call traditions at one time were very new. Did you know that at one time people would have thought that we were absolutely insane to have the ladies and the men sit in the same side of the building in the worship service? In fact, you go to Africa today, the ladies sit on one side, the men sit on the other side. It's unheard of for men and women to sit together in the same church building in, in, in an African village, an African fellowship, okay? At one time that was true in the United States, in the colonies. Women sat over here, men sat here. At one time, as a matter of fact, men came, women didn't. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. Are traditions wrong? Is the way you have always worshipped, for instance, is there anything wrong with that? I find great comfort in the way things have always been done. I mean, to some extent, a service is not a service unless it's at a certain time or a certain place and done in a certain way for me. But when I travel around the world, I find that people do them in all different kinds of ways. I find people do church in all different kinds of ways. I find that what is a tradition for me uh, and I think is so wonderful is absolutely unheard of someplace else. In fact, as, as a matter of fact, they think it's terrible. To even consider that, it would destroy them. It would run, well, they would never even think about it. Then I think, look at what our traditions to them, and I think, well, if I even considered that, it would be absolutely insane. Now, it is easy to be captured by what? See, now here we're talking about being captured by traditionalism. You say, Brother Tom, is there anything wrong with that? No, I said an inordinate fear. We need to have a proper appreciation for the past. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, we need to be able to separate those things which are traditional and cultural from those things which are spiritual and biblical. And there is a great deal of difference between those things which are traditional and cultural in which we find comfort and those things which are spiritual and biblical. And sometimes a spiritual and biblical approach will threaten what we have always done that is traditional and cultural. And sometimes to keep doing that which is traditional and cultural will keep us from accomplishing anything that is biblical and spiritual. It's insane. I heard, heard definition of insanity, and it is that insanity is believing that doing the same thing the same way will produce new results because doing the same thing the same way produces the same results. Uh, as I heard a man say here recently, if, if we're fortunate. In fact, I've, I've had a discussion recently about that very issue on another, another vein. Here he's talking about our church. 
Here he's talking about their faith in Christ. And you see what was happening was the Christians in Colossae were getting their faith in Christ mixed up with form. With form. And that's a real danger, isn't it? And so how can we be taken captive? We can be taken captive when somebody comes and says, look, it is this form and this form only is the way we can do church or the way we can worship or the way Christian life can be lived. Well, to the extent that what that person, whether he's a preacher or a teacher or what the congregation says, to the extent that it is scriptural, that's great. To the extent that it's cultural or traditional, well, then we need to look at that very carefully, don't we? So what is he saying? He's saying you're open season to be taken captive if you have an inordinate fear of breaking with that which is traditional or entertaining that which might be new, what God might give you. Now, I've heard someone say that what's new is not true. We're not talking here about truth, except to this extent, everything we do must be measured by this statement. Is, is, a, is it a vehicle for the truth? A vehicle for the truth. That's the critical issue, you see. That's the critical issue. I struggle with this. If there's anything that has, has I think, I think I try to be pretty discerning about what I put in my head, okay? I think uh, in terms of making, fulfilling my dreams, my greatest ambitions, I think I, I try to be pretty discerning about that as well. But if there's one area in my life where I have had the hardest struggle, it is that I have been held captive sometimes not by Christ so much as by my way of doing church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. I mean, I, have, I really struggle with that. I really personally struggle with that because there's a sense in which I don't feel like I've had church unless something else, you know, this has taken place and that's taken place. And over the years, there has been an evolution. And every time anything has happened, it has been with, I have been the last to come with, with kicking and clawing and screaming and with great cries of agony. I was, please don't change that. And then, you know, now I look back and I cannot believe, you know, how I held on to my particular forms. Now, that's a way. See, I can, I can be held captive, and you can be held captive. You can be held captive by tradition, all right? And that's, that, you say, Brother Tom, I'm a traditionalist. I am a traditionalist. But to the extent that it is biblical and spiritual, that's where our traditions need to, to hang, right? That's where our traditions need to hang. Now, there's another way that you can be taken captive. There's another way, and I'm just taking this verse and trying to, to amplify it for us here. He says, after the rudiments of the world, be let, beware lest any man spoil you, first of all through philosophy, secondly through vain uh, deceit, third, after the tradition of men, they do this after the tradition of men, for after the rudiments of the world. What is a fourth way that you can let your mind become captive, all right? If you have an inclination to approach problems or situations in your life the world's way. Well, this is the way I was told to do it. 
as opposed to God's way, the world's way. After the rudiments, he says, of the world. Now, the word rudiments means the orderly methods, uh, the ABCs of the world, someone has said, the rudiments, the, the way the elements that the world uses to solve problems. Um, I'll tell you what, there's so many things about the Christian faith that is a mystery. I thought it was interesting, this editorial of Paul Harvey's in the paper this week where Paul Harvey uh, was pointing out that people were absolutely amazed that sometimes people who are being prayed for get well even though they don't know they're being prayed for. My, what a mystery that was. That, I just, you know, that's not according to the rudiments of the world, is it? That's just not according to the rudiments of the world. That's not the, world teaches, the way the world teaches it, it should happen. Um, there are a lot of things that happen, see, that are not according to the rudiments of the world. Someone uh, said to me a few uh, days ago, they were telling me how they put uh, a father's name at the, on the top ten most wanted list for our power team crusade. And sort of admitting that it was a mistake because the father lives in Houston and is not going to come here and darken the door of the power team crusade and is involved in some kind of cult or something like that down in Houston. But he didn't want to turn this thing in without all ten names on it, so he put his dad's name on it. He says, you know, strange thing. He said, man, my dad got saved. So somebody came to his door down there in Houston and led him to the Lord. You know, well, what was happening up here? We were spreading these things out and we were praying that that guy would be saved. I mean, that is so unworldly. That's otherworldly, you see. Now, if your natural approach, if the way you're going to approach things is always going to be the way the world, if your thinking is the world's thinking, in solving problems, well, then you're going to easily be able to held captive because the world is full of people who will tell you this is the way you solve your problems. They don't have any iota of scriptural sense. They don't have any appreciation for God, for God's Word, for prayer, for anything else. And they'll sit right there and look across the desk at the bank or at the doctor's office or in the car dealership or in the construction office or the, uh, you know, the, and just tell you, here's how you ought to solve your problems. We'll just fix you up right here. And they will tell you how to do it the world's way. I mean, you look at families. We have families in bondage like you can't believe. I mean, and they have done it the way the world says to do it. Every step they took was what, the, what society said is the way to get out of debt. They didn't get out there and say, I want to get in big-time debt and hurt the rest of my life. That's not what they said. They went out and followed somebody's instructions about how to get out of debt, and they're in debt over their head. Taken captive, spoiled, right? They've been spoiled, taken captive, because they followed the rudiments of the world, the ABCs, the world's approach to solving problems. If you want to be captive of the world, you follow their approach. You listen to their people. You watch their programming. And your mind will be taken captive of the world because whoever controls your mind controls you. Now, let me ask you a question. Who controls you? Who controls your thoughts? I mean, really, who controls your thoughts? Who's putting the most information into your noggin? That's what it boils down to. Who's doing the programming of your life on a day-by-day -day basis? How much time in the Word as opposed to other sources of information that you can garner? Because whoever controls the time of your life controls the thoughts of your life, and whoever controls your thinking controls you. So who controls your thoughts? It's a good question to ask tonight.
I can't make you ask it, and I can't even make you honest if you answer it. But God knows, and you ought to give an account to him right now. Let's bow our heads. Who controls your thoughts? These poor Christians in Colossae have gotten so twisted, so perverted, they started out right and they were ending up wrong because they had a lack of discernment about what they knew. They made fulfillment of their dreams, their greatest ambition. They had an inordinate fear of breaking ties and entertaining new concepts of about what this new wine of the grace of God. See, that was it. It was the grace of God. And, and they had this inordinate fear of breaking ties with tradition that said you have to work for your salvation and entertain the thought that you could be saved by the grace of God through faith. They're scared to death of that thought. It just seems so logical to say you work for salvation. And they had an inclination to approach the problems of their life with the world's ABCs, the world's solutions. Well, who controls your thoughts? Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will minister in power and grace to our lives. I pray your Holy Spirit will bring us to say yes to you tonight, whatever it is that you're saying to us. Lord, help us not to be people who, who um, don't care what we know or who make our dreams and their fulfillment our greatest ambition, or who are so afraid to break with the tradition of religion that says you're saved a certain way when you say it is by grace through faith, or who uh, just follow the world's plan for getting things done. Lord, free us from that. Help our thoughts to be taken captive by you tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let me ask you just to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask our counselors to come. The praise singers are here. In a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation, your personal invitation to come to Christ. And I want to encourage you just to make your way down to this altar. I'm going to ask us just to keep our heads bowed and the praise singers are going to sing this hymn of invitation for us. And you just keep your head bowed, spirit of prayer there. You pray for the people around you. You pray for others. But as God speaks to your heart, you step to the aisle make your way forward. You may need to come to the altar and just say, Lord, I have let someone else or something else control my thinking. Lord, I, I've, I've just, I see it now. I have been taken captive. And I need, I really need to be set free in that area because I've given my, my thinking process over to something or someone else. And Lord, I want to be captive of you, of you. Not a man, not a preacher, not anybody, but you, Lord Jesus. I want my thoughts to be captive of you. Could be that you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. Your heart's desire is to receive him by faith. I want to encourage you to come, find a counter and say, look, I want to be forgiven for my sin. You know, you can have abundant life, eternal life. You can go to heaven forever if you receive Christ by faith as your heart, as your Savior. And I'd encourage you, just say to a counselor, look, I want to trust Christ tonight. As God speaks to your heart about becoming a part of this church, I'd just come. Folks are coming even now. I'd just come and find a counselor and say, look, I want to join this church. If you've made that decision in earlier services and we've not had the privilege of introducing you, maybe you're even baptized tonight, 
Will you make your way over here where it says seating for new members so we can introduce you in a few moments. As God speaks to your heart about joining the church or trusting Christ or just dealing with some spiritual issue, you come to this altar just now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Praise singers, would you begin singing? And as they sing, you just step to the aisle.